You're listening to the New Life Church Sunday Morning Podcast. We're a family of believers in Anderson, Missouri, that want to experience God in a real way, both inside and outside the walls of a building. For more Sunday messages, upcoming events, or to get in touch, visit new-life-church.net. So at our place, uh, some of you may know, we have we've been doing a lot of remodeling and renovation to the home we bought. Uh, we've lived in it since July now, and um, seems like you get one thing done and you add three things to the list. Uh, you know, anybody else live in a home kind of like that? Um, and so we're so thankful to be there. We love our home. And, uh, but part of this process, a huge part of it is painting. Um, you know, there was colors that we would not choose. Uh, you know, we have all boys, and so there was a bedroom that was all pink. And so that doesn't really work at our house, right? Um, there was browns, there was greens, there was, as we've done things, we've, we've got to see what colors they picked in the late 70s when the home was built, and all sorts of fun things. We've found remnants of the original carpet, and I think my wife kept it in a scrapbook. She's that way. It's like that super avocado green shag carpet. <laughs> you know, that was like the original carpet in the house, and so as you would go through this process, you're finding lots of things. But like I said, painting has been a big part of it. Um, now, our cabinets in our house are stained, and a lot of the trim in the doors were stained, and there's a good reason for that. Um, staining is something that can be very beautiful, can highlight the grains of the wood. It can last a lot longer than paint can, um, oftentimes. And the reason for that is pain, pain, sorry, stain, unlike paint, penetrates into the wood. So if you prep it correctly by sanding it, filling the nail holes, things like that, you're opening up the pores, so to speak. You're opening up the grains of the wood to receive that stain, and that stain can penetrate in it. And I've actually looked on the ends of boards that I've stained before, and maybe you have if you've done it, and you can actually see it like go down a sixteenth or an eighth of an inch into the board where it's just penetrating into it deep. It's not just on the surface like what paint does. Stain can last a long time. It's beautiful. I mean, obviously, we have a lot of stained woodwork around here. It can be very beautiful and highlighting uh, God's creation, right? He made the trees. He made the wood, and it does that. I think that we're kind of like that. I think that we are like that unfinished piece of wood that God calls into our salvation. And then as he calls us, he prepares us to receive the stain of his love for us. And he sands us, preps us, fills the nail holes. Sometimes you have to plane a board down to get it straight. You know, that's our sanctification part. God's prepping us. He's getting the wood ready to receive the stain so that it can penetrate and go deep. And all of this is so that we are in the process of our old self getting further and further in our past. That sinful self, that side of us that thinks we know best, when really we don't. We, we find that time and time again when we try to go strike out on our own and try to do things of ourselves or try to fill voids in our lives with things other than him. And the next morning we wake up or in a couple weeks we, we suddenly realize that 
that was empty and wasted and useless. We need that penetrating stain of Christ in our life to penetrate deep so that when you bump it or nick it or scratch it, it's still there. So I don't know if you've ever refinished something that's stained, but you can sand it down and you can oftentimes, if it was done right, still see the color of the stain. And you're just hoping you get enough grit on it so that you can prime it and paint over it or whatever. And we need to be like that. We need to be like that. So as we go through life, if we get bumped or nicked or scratched or sanded on in areas of our lives, the color of Christ, that stain is still there and still apparent. Well, this morning we, we finish off our letter of 1 Thessalonians. We've been in it for, I don't know, I don't know how long. We've had lots of breaks and um, I don't know about you, but I have really thoroughly appreciated this book of the Bible as we should all of them. And I hope that our time together in this letter that Paul wrote to this church in Thessalonica, written to us today as well, inspired by the Holy Spirit, has been an encouragement, has been something that you have seen God's grace and love and mercy throughout. Have you seen encouragements of how we need to love God, how we should love one another, how it's all about letting our light shine and making disciples of Christ as Paul highlighted that the Thessalonians were doing and continued and encouraged and exhorted them to do even more so. Well, and in Paul's closing thoughts, as we will go through today, he is almost as a reminder prepping them to make sure they continue receiving the stain of Christ into their lives. So we're going to read this passage together. If you would stand, if you're willing and able, while we read the Word of God. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 23 to 28. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept sound and blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. He will do it. Brothers and sisters, pray for us also. Greet all the brothers and sisters with a holy kiss. I charge you by the Lord that this letter be read to all the brothers and sisters. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Amen. You may be seated. So, let's start in verse 23. I'm just going to kind of break this down by verse this morning and just highlight these parts as Paul is. This is kind of his takeaways. Hey, what does he want these folks to remember? See, they didn't have the luxury of having multiple copies of this on their shelves. They had one copy that the leaders of this church were charged with to read to the congregation. It was a precious copy. It was something that was, you know, we can pull it up on our phones, on our computers at a whim. And we take it for granted too often. But for them, this was precious from their beloved pastor that planted the church, also divinely inspired by God himself. So verse 23, May the God of peace himself sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept sound and blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. A couple of things that I'd really like for us to draw out of this would be, first of all, God of peace. God of peace. Could anybody use a little bit more peace in their life right now? 
If you're honest, I bet every one of us, right? Now give me more conflict, Matt. I'll take some more of that. <laughs> no. That, you know, you might be a little insane if that's what you're thinking, right? Um, we love you. You're accepted. You're welcome here. The rest of us are insane too. Don't worry about it. But <laughs> really, we all want a little bit more peace. God of peace. You see, Paul is reminding them of this because God is the source of true peace. He is the source of true peace. And he's saying, may the God of peace himself, the God of peace, the source of it, it's what he is. He is also for their peace as individuals. God is the source. God is peace. And he is for their peace. And he's going to equip them with peace. God is going to equip you and me with his peace. There are days it doesn't feel like it. But have you ever felt peace in the midst of a storm? Have you? I have. How? How is that possible? Because I know who is the source. I know who is good, therefore I can be good. And he desires to equip us with peace. Ultimately, initially through our salvation, that's where it begins. As we come into a relationship with him, a relationship we don't deserve, can't earn, we just need to surrender, freely accept it. That gives us our initial peace as well as for our daily life and then someday, future, eternal, everlasting peace where we won't ever waver on wondering if we're experiencing peace or have peace or not when we enter into heaven with him. What does this mean? It means we can have peace because those who believe in Jesus Christ as the Lord's Savior can be at peace. A peace that exceeds all understanding as it tells us in Philippians 4.7. A peace because our identity and worth is in God through Christ. I want to say that again. Our identity and worth is in God through Jesus Christ. It's not in our jobs. Why shouldn't it be in our jobs? Has anybody been fired, laid off? I have. <laughs> and if our identity is wrapped up in that, our peace is going to go up and down and fluctuate based off of how well our job is going. Well, I don't want my peace tied to that, do you? What about in our relationships? Well, I hate to break it to you, none of us have a perfect parent, a perfect sibling, or a perfect spouse, or a perfect child. Our relationships are going to ebb and flow. They're going to have ups and downs. And if our identity and worth is based on a relationship, based on what our spouse is thinking or saying about us, based on what our parents think or say, based on somebody else, our peace is going to fluctuate, come in and out. Finances? No. <laughs> Are you kidding? right? The Lord gives, the Lord takes away. Blessed be his name. 
There's times where we feel like we have enough and there's times we are, we know we don't have enough. If it's tied to our finances and our bank accounts, forget about it, as they say in New York. Not our ability to do good things. Our ability to perform. If it's tied to that, <sighs> I'm out right now. We'll see you guys next week, you know? If it's on our ability to perform, nobody is perfect in their performance. There's only one who was, Jesus Christ. And he's offering that free gift of his payment that was perfect for us, to us. And then the verse continues, the God of peace will sanctify us completely. And to sanctify means to be set apart. To be sanded, planed, nail holes filled, prepped to receive his stain. And Paul, this is a theme of Paul for the Thessalonians. You can see the other references there where he talks about them. Where the God will sanctify you. God will complete his work in you. As he tells us in Philippians 1.6. You see, he is interested in each one of us. The minute details of our lives. And so, it is worth it to him to sanctify us. It is worth it to him, just like a master craftsman, as he takes that board and looks at the board, and they see what it can be. They can see what it can become from that raw piece of wood out in the forest to the point to where it's ready to be crafted in exactly the piece of art that it's going to become. And he sees that. Elsewhere in Scripture, it says we are his workmanship. We are his artwork on display. Guys, we're his pieces of art. Something that is of true value, something that is a beautiful work and piece of art is something from the artist's heart. It flows from inside them and out. There is meaning and purpose behind it. That's who we are to him. That's who we are to him. He wants to keep us sound and blameless. He wants his artwork to be on display in the glory that it can be because it reflects even more glory on him. And the bonus, we get joy and satisfaction in the process. Joy and satisfaction in the process. And see, he knows, just like an artist knows what things can be displayed and how to display it and how to prep, how to prep it. And I don't understand all this, my son does, but um, you know, there are certain types of paintings that can't be behind glass because it can affect the quality. And there are some that have to be displayed in different ways, in different arenas, in different mediums, depending on it. And God knows that about each one of us. He has that in mind for us. And so for us to get bogged down in thinking through the, oh my goodness, the list of do's and don'ts, the Ten Commandments, and the, why do I have to go through this, and poor me, and... 
What if we had a perspective instead of his artwork? And that there's a process, there's a refining, there's a sanding, there's a planing, there's a, there's a building and prepping towards the display of glorifying him. Or he's showing us off on the wall and saying, look at my artwork. Look at my son. Look at my daughter. I died for them. I went to the cross for them. I have saved them. And not only that, I wasn't done. I prepped them. I sanctified them. I prepared them to be on display for my glory and their benefit. Philippians 2, 12 through 13 says, Therefore, my dear friends, just as you have always obeyed, so now, not only in my presence, but even more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who is working in you, both to will and to work according to his good purpose. The working out our salvation is obeying God here. This is not so that we can be saved by our good works. That's not what this is saying. He has saved us. That's all him, not us. Our part in glorifying our creator, the artist creating us, preparing us, is where we in turn say, Lord, I love you. I love you to the point of I'm going to obey you. I'm going to allow you to plane me. I'm going to allow you to stain me. I'm going to allow you to prep me. I'm going to love you. My desire is to please you, not so that I can have all these good notches on my belt of things that I've done, trying to put God into a place where he owes me because I've done good things. He can never owe us. Never. So our response to his love, his mercy, his grace is, how can I please you, Lord? How can I serve you? Love you more. Okay. Help me do it. And he does. Love other people. Encourage one another. Help me do it, Lord. And he does. He changes our hearts and our minds and our attitudes towards others around him. And he reminds us they need grace. Maybe even less than we need grace. (laughs) And we should love them. And he says, you want to see this on display even more so? Go make disciples. If you want to see this in action, go and make disciples. Tell others about me. Introduce me to them. If you really love somebody, you are so excited to share them with others. You can't wait to introduce them to somebody, right? God should be that way for us. The working out our salvation, obeying God, where we are receiving his stain in our lives. Verse 24. The rest of these will go faster. I know I can smell the chili too. Verse 24. He who calls you is faithful. He will do it. Isn't that fantastic? There's no question. It's a statement. It's a fact. It's not if. He is faithful. He will do it. Every promise he has made, he has kept. Every prophecy he has given, he has fulfilled or he will fulfill. Those are facts. 
Everyone he calls through the blood of Jesus Christ, he justifies through his blood. That's saving us. He sanctifies. He changes or reforms us. He glorifies, and that's in the eternal perfect presence of the triune God with the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. As God initiates and justifies by grace through faith, he also sanctifies by grace through faithful obedience. As God initiates and justifies by grace through faith, faith in him, he also sanctifies by grace through faithful obedience. In 1 Corinthians 1, 8 and 9, he will also strengthen you to the end. Not just part of it, to the end, so that you will be blameless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful. You were called by him into fellowship with the Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. He is faithful. He will do it. Verse 25. Brothers and sisters, pray for us also. Paul, circling back to prayer here. Paul continues his closing exhortations with what he wants them and us to remember what our takeaways, our closing thoughts are. Of course he's going to mention prayer. Paul knows this about himself, that he needs prayer prayer. My family and I needed your prayers this week, and we are grateful for them. You need our prayers. I'm still struck to this day when I say, hey, how can I pray for you? And they're like, no, we're good. How about just that God would complete, continue to complete his work in you? How about that you would want to know him more, as we just sang about how about that the gospel will become more real to you each and every day? How about, hey, you can praise him because he has worked here and we have seen him work and, and do this thing. We should never not have an answer when somebody says, hey, how can I pray for you? Never. We should be excited for that. There's a humility in it and there's also an encouragement and strengthening in our own hearts and in the body of Christ as we do this for each other. This is part of loving each other and encouraging one another. 2 Corinthians 3, 5. It is not that we are competent in ourselves to claim anything is coming from ourselves, but our adequacy is from God. This is Paul in 2 Corinthians basically stating why he knows he needs prayer. There is nothing from me good. There is nothing I can do that has any merit or value apart from God. And it's your prayers that are going to sustain me, is what he's saying here. It is our prayers for each other that is going to sustain us. Tony and I had this conversation in my office today that sometimes when we go through hard things, our tendency, and I bet there's a lot of guys in this room that are the same way, is to hole up. And try to walk it alone. And it takes courage not to do that. It really does. And <laughs> that's Satan, guys. That's Satan coming in and trying to separate us from the flock. 
You know, and Peter talks about him being like a lion. Lions don't go try to attack the whole herd of zebras at once. They can't do it. If the zebras actually turned around and said, come at me, bro, what do you got? And like fought him together, he'd have no shot. He'd have nothing. But they don't. They don't know that. They don't have the intellect to think that way. We do. And yet, we're like, oh no, I got to go over here by myself. Basically, in essence, you're saying, hey, I'm going over here to be Satan's snack. Let's not do that. Let's not be Satan's snack. Let's pray for each other. Verse 26, greet all the brothers and sisters with a holy kiss. Encourage and love one another appropriately. Appropriately. This is not me saying, hey, everybody has license to go up and kiss each other and all that stuff. All right? This is Paul saying this was part of their culture and their custom back then. This was an appropriate form and way of expressing. Today, it's like a nice warm handshake. If you know the person well and they're okay with it, a side hug, right? A side hug, an appropriate hug. This is Paul saying, hey, love and encourage each other in a tangible, visible expression. Love and encourage each other in a tangible, visible, appropriate expression. How? First John three sixteen and 17 gives us some great hows. This is how we have come to know love. He laid down his life for us. We should also lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. If anyone has this world's goods and sees a fellow believer in need, but withholds compassion from him, how does God's love reside in him? We should be willing to sacrifice ourselves and our things that God allows us to manage for each other. That is how we tangibly, visibly express our love for one another. And I'm encouraged to see how our church body has done that over the last couple of weeks. With David and Becky and her surgery that she's recently had. There's a couple of other families that I don't know that I have liberty to share with. They announced it on Facebook, so I, was, I felt like I had liberty there. Uh, but there's another couple of families that I know of that this body has got to be a part of blessing and tangible, visible expressions of God's love. And I love that. I love that. Verse 27, I charge you by the Lord that this letter be read to all the brothers and sisters. What does that mean for us today? That means we need to be in God's word. Paul is saying, I charge you. I implore, I command you to be in God's word. We need to do this individually. If you're only showing up on Sundays and getting into the word on Sunday mornings with this, that's better than none for sure. But it's not enough. You are missing out. What we do on Sunday should be a gathering corporately as we worship our Savior and King of what we have all been doing during the week before. Sometimes together, sometimes as individuals. This is our time of prayer, our time of studying the Word. We can never, ever get to the point of knowing the Scripture fully and completely. 
We do not have that capacity. And if you think you're there, I'm going to lovingly correct you in that you are wrong. You are being prideful about it. And I say that with all sincerity. Just like as if you noticed the paintings in the foyer when we went through Psalm 23 this last year, a very familiar song that many of us have memorized since we were kids. There was many truths that God opened up to each one of us, me included, through that series. And still does. I have revisited that chapter these last couple weeks, my own heart. And God's still speaking to me through it. And I know he will continue to throughout all eternity. It is his word. It is living. It is active. It is a blessing. Hebrews 4.12 tells us exactly that. For the word of God is living and effective and sharper than any double-edged sword, penetrating as far as the separation of soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It is able to judge the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. And it's by being in his word that it fuels us, equips us to be able to love him more so, more fully, to love each other and encourage each other even better and to introduce our Savior and King and friend to those who need him. Paul opens this letter, if you remember, at the very beginning with grace and peace. He closes it in a very similar way. The peace of God the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 28, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. It's what it's all about, his grace. It's what Paul is all about. Paul had spent his whole life as a very prideful zealot doing so-called good things. But in fact, right up until his salvation, he was jailing, torturing, and killing believers. And he knows that it was by God's grace that he was called on that road to Damascus. And you can read the story in Acts where Jesus literally confronted him, called him and saved him. It is God's grace through Jesus Christ that gives us something that we do not deserve, as we've already said. It allows us to know him and Paul knew this. And if you read the other epistles and books that he's read, that he is credited for writing in the New Testament, you will see that it is a constant theme of his over and over and over and over. Because he knows that it is the source of it all. And we might get caught up in thinking that we weren't, we aren't as bad as Paul might have been. Did you guys ever stop and think that it was God's grace that allowed him to do those things up until he called him? That'll give you something to chew on for a while, right? Have you stopped and thought about how every one of our sins separates us from God? Whether we're jailing and torturing Christians or whether we have fudged on our tax return. A sin separates us from God. 
His grace is our answer and our solution to that sin. Through Jesus Christ, his atonement on the cross, a payment for our sins. Our part in receiving the stain of God's grace on our life, what does this look like? It's loving God. How can we love him? He's initiated it because he is peace. He is faithful. He is grace. As we see in Paul's closing remarks in these verses. Let these truths claim your heart. Meditate on these. Ponder on these truths. You're only going to come up with two places in your heart in response. And one is, is to fall on your face and your knees in gratitude and praise of him. Or it's going to be to run and reject him further. Those are all, that's where we're going to land in this. Loving others. Visible, tangible expressions of his love in our, our lives and, and filling us up and overflowing to the point where our needs are secondary. And thinking about those around us and loving on them and encouraging them becomes primary. prayer. I love this quote. I came across it the last couple of weeks. David Platt says, the point is not to get something but to know someone. What a profound statement about prayer. That the point is not about getting something but to know someone. As we know him more fully, as we come to know him better, we're going to love him more. We're going to love others more. We're not going to be worried about the list of do's and don'ts. They're going to flow out of us. And then we should also be in the Word. Before we break bread together, or inhale bowls of chili together, hopefully some cornbread too, right? I can't leave this morning without making sure that everybody here has the opportunity to course correct in their life. If you're trying to find your identity and worth in anything other than Jesus Christ, job, finances, relationship, doing good things, if you're honestly looking at yourself, you'll know that you are failing in finding value and worth there. Would you surrender? Would you surrender to the God of peace? Would you surrender to the one who is faithful? Would you surrender to the one who has never broke a promise in eternity past and never will in eternity future? The one who has given up and sacrificed infinitely more than we ever can by sending his son to the cross to take on the wrath that we deserve. For our fudged tax returns, our manipulation in relationships, our 
doubts are failures. Let me pray. And you just take my words, put it in your words. If you're done and you're ready to surrender to our only hope, our only possible <laughs> only possible opportunity to achieve peace. Not promising perfection. Not promising all of a sudden your bank account will be in the black instead of the red. Then work that way. I can't promise you that your relationship with Jesus Christ will sustain you. And he will give you green pastures in the midst of the trials and the storms. And he will be that peace along the way as life continues to come. As we are sanctified. As he is creating a beautiful piece of art out of us. So that we can accept the stain of his grace and love into our lives. So Father God, I thank you and praise you for this morning. And Lord... We're undeserving of your love and your mercy and your grace. And as I prayed at the beginning of our time, God, we often, even those who already know you, forget this and, and try to do life on our own. So, Lord, we're done. We're done running. You have paid the price you have sacrificed yourself on the cross for the sins that we have committed and will commit and so in that we can surrender we can let go of the striving and the wasted time and effort of trying to find fulfillment in anything outside of you Lord we believe in you as our savior as our King, as our friend, our loving Father, not the brutal critic. Thank you, Lord, that you are willing and waiting, even patiently, for us to realize this and turn to you. Thank you, Lord, that you will complete the work that you began in us, because you are faithful. You will do this. So, Lord, we thank you for the provision of the food, the provision of the time of fellowship. We thank you for the provision of safety for those who were able to be here today. We ask that we glorify you in our fellowship, of our bowls of chili and the breaking of cornbread. Thank you for each person here.